everybody. Welcome to the Fearlessly Authentic Podcast, episodes aimed at presenting authentic truth in a fearlessly authentic way. By now you know I'm Jerry, and we're here in the middle of a study of the life of Joseph from the Old Testament. Today we're going to look at something that you and I both have in common with Joseph, and that's adversity. We're going to see that in life, adversity is certain, but fear is a choice. Now let's look at part one of adversity from Genesis 37. Genesis 37 this morning. 2015 was the worst year in modern history for Christian persecution. I don't know if you know that or not. More than 7,100 Christians were killed for faith-related reasons. 2,400 churches around the world were either damaged or destroyed. And when we're surrounded by adversity, it's difficult not to be afraid. Would you agree with that? But there are other options. The word adversity is an interesting word. It literally means the dictionary definition says to face adverse situations. And I'm like, well, that doesn't really help, right? So I had to find another dictionary definition. You know, it's funny with dictionary definitions, you can kind of go down until you find the one you want. But it literally means this, an unfortunate event or circumstance. How many people have ever had an unfortunate event or circumstance happen in their life, right? So we're familiar with this idea of adversity. And we would have to agree, wouldn't we not, that life is full of adversity, right? All right, very good. Thank you. (laughs) We have all experienced some unfortunate event or circumstance and when we're the creator of the event or circumstance we may not like the consequence but we really can't blame it on anyone else or and we have to learn to deal with the with the adversity because why we brought it on ourselves. but what about the adversity that comes from sources outside of yourself what about when you didn't make the mistake when you didn't choose to drive when you chose to, when you didn't choose to disobey you're just kind of riding along in the car of life and all of a sudden bam adversity hits you from a source outside of you how do we deal with that what about the adversity that comes even from inside of our families someone wisely said this there is no pain like family pain why does it seem that when adversity comes from our friends or our family or even our fellowship of believers in our church we allow our lives to be filled with so much fear when adversity comes from our family our friends or the fellowship that we worship it we allow the adversity to to hit us and then then our lives become filled with fear it seems like the natural reaction that takes place in our lives this type of adversity from our friends our family or our fellowship uh, that we worship is strong and feared and we spend a lot of time in fear that that this might take place in fact it may not be happening but we spend time in fear thinking it might happen what if she says this what if he does this what if they go here what if they do there what if my friends this what if they say this about a church we waste so much time fearing what could happen don't we but at this point here in genesis 37 he has no idea what is about to take place he has no idea he's about to be sold into slavery he has no idea that he's about to be betrayed by his brothers he has no idea that his brothers actually want to kill him he has no idea he's going to be sold to a man named Potiphar. He has no idea that Potiphar's wife is going to come onto him in so, such a strong way that she tempts him to, to sleep with him. He has no idea that because he chooses to do right, he's going to be thrown in jail. He has no idea that he's going to become prime minister of Egypt and save the world. He has no idea. All he knows at this time is he's 17 years old and his brothers hate him and his father favors him. That's all he knows at this time. In verse 4, we see here, And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Ever been in a home like that? Sometimes our homes end up like that. It's easy to favor the kid that you like, the one that's easy, (laughs) the one that doesn't give you any trouble. It's easy to favor that one. But if you do, you're wrong. You're You're setting both up for failure, the one you favor and the one you ignore. And that's what Jacob did. Jacob, not the poster boy for a great father figure. 
If you're like looking in the Bible for, well, how could I be a dad? What, what are the things I could learn? Don't look at the life of J Jacob unless you want to look at what not to do. The most passive man in all the world that we see in Scripture has got to be, hands down, Jacob. Passive. Where did he learn from? Well, he learned it from his, from his dad, who was just as passive as he was. Remember the whole story of Jacob and Esau? Remember the whole, I'm going to steal the blessing. I'm going I'm to, uh, he's out uh, hunting venison and mom's in here doing the whole thing. Remember that story we talked about last week? And then they do that little trick thing and, and, and Isaac just kind of plays along with it. Well, I gave the blessing. I can't. Where, where does it say you can't take that back? It was deceit. You're not going to be the one. I don't care who, what kind of deal you made. I don't care who got some beans in a pot. I don't care what kind of deal you made back behind the barn. I'm the father of this family, and we're going to follow God. And the way that God says is that the first one's getting it. You tricked me. That doesn't count. In fact, you tricked me. Get over here. I got something for you. Okay? But where was it? Oh, well, what could I do? What could I do? Jacob's the same way. Why? He learned it from his dad. Passive. Passivity. By the way, you've got to, you've got to grasp this. And, and, and can I just speak to the guys a little bit stronger than the ladies here? Guys, you cannot be passive. Passivity is an enemy, and it is a deadly enemy, and we're going to see that as we go in here. So adversity, that's what we're going to talk about, adversity. What do you do when adversity enters into your life? What do you do when adversity enters into your life? It can come from multiple sources, but it has a stinging effect when adversity comes from someone that you know. And here's my idea. Here's, here's my thought throughout this this thing. This is what I want you to pull away from when you pull out the parking lot. I want you to understand this. Adversity is unavoidable, but being fearful is optional. Adversity is unavoidable. You can't avoid it. Adversity is coming to a theater near you, okay? It's coming. Well, well, you know, things have been going pretty well, and the, there's money in the bank, and, and uh, everything seems to be going well, and my job's going well. Well, you better check that you're on the right train, buddy. The Bible says that God deals with his children, that sometimes he brings the adversity in order to get us right with him. That he's constantly looking to, to, to mold us. In fact, he says we're predestined to become in the image of his son. But sometimes that adversity comes from unexpected sources. And when it comes from inside your family, your friends, or your fellowship at church, doesn't it sting just a little bit better? Just a little bit better, isn't it? You say, what do you mean better? It has a more influential impact in your life. I mean, if you go down to the McDonald's or the Chick-fil-A or the Texas Roadhouse and you go in there and some stranger shows you how old they are because you took their parking lot spot, you know, they, they, they show you their age with that particular finger. And, uh, you know, I always say they're just showing us what their IQ is, honey. They're just showing us their IQ. They're number one. Someone does that too. You can blow it off. You might, you might, you might get a little, oh, I can't believe you did. But after a while, but, but let, let adversity come from someone in the church. Let it come from a friend. Let it come from inside your own family. And man, fear starts to fill up. And so we run. We run from our family. We run from our friends. We run from our church. We run from our fellowship. We run, we run, we run, we run. Why? Because fear, adversity comes instead of dealing with adversity Instead of trying to say, how can, how can I respond biblically to this adversity? How can I respond in a way that, that brings God honor? I have to, I choose to, then, to run. And I run with my emotions. I run with my feelings. I run with my anger. I run with everything. I take it out on other people. And we're going to see ways in which Jacob's family, dealing with adversity today, handled it in ways that are very unhealthy. I'd like to tell you that we're going to talk about Joseph today. But actually, the next two weeks, we're not going to, we're going to talk about the story of Joseph. But we're really, Joseph's going to be on the outside. I want you to have a full feeling of his family. You see, we always think that the only adversity in the story is Joseph, but that is not true. There was a lot of adversity in the home of Joseph and a lot of adversity in his brothers and his father. So here's a couple things I want you to get. Here's a couple principles I see, some very interesting things that happen when adversity is mingled with fear. And the first thing I want you to see here is in verses 5 through 10. And let me read the text, and then I'll give you my point. It says, And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet 
the more. They hated him yet the more. Two verses in a row they hated him. The first particular word of hate, it means um, to regard as my enemy. Hate is sort of like the word love. You know, we, we love a lot of things, right? We love our car. We love our boat. We love our house. We love our cats. We love our dogs. We love our wife. But do you love your wife like you love your dog? Hopefully not. That would probably be a bad thing. Your wife comes in and you go, oh, here's a good girl. Here's a good girl. Here's a good girl. Don't love your spouse like you love your dog. Now, it may work with your guy. You may come and scratch him over here and his leg might go. But that's a whole other thing. Love is used all different ways. Hate is used that way too. I hate Brussels sprouts. I hate them. You say, well, pastor, the next time you come over, we're going to serve you Brussels sprouts. I'll eat them and not say a word just to put you off. I can eat them. They don't like make me break out. Just if you, if you say, what would you like to eat? Brussels sprouts is never coming out of my mouth, ever. Oh, but you never had it with bacon. I have the bacon without the Brussels sprouts. Okay. Uh, bacon makes anything taste good. I can eat wood with bacon on it. I mean, come on, don't, that, that's unfair, you know? But I say, I hate them. But isn't it different when I say, I hate Brussels sprouts, and I say, I hate my brother? That's a whole different mindset, isn't it? Now, I don't hate my brother, but isn't that, isn't that a whole different... I mean, you, you kind of understand that I hate Brussels sprouts, so it's just something he doesn't like. But when you say, I hate someone, now, now there's, there's, a, there's a sense of... There's a, I'm not angry at Brussels sprouts, you know what I mean? Like the Brussels sprout people, I'm not like angry at them because they created them or made them. I just don't care if they get a paycheck or not. You know what I mean? And if you love them, eat my share and make sure that they're doing your Christian duty. But when I say I hate my brother, it gives the idea of I'm regarding him as an enemy. And that's what that word here is in the Hebrew. It means to regard as an enemy. They regarded Joseph not just as someone that just, ah, oh, I just can't stand him. No, they, they regarded him as an enemy to their existence. And then the second time they said hated him, it's the same word, but it's used intensively. There, there are different ways that the Hebrew language is lined up, and, and, and there are ways to show whether it's an intensive action or whether it's just a regular action. This is intensive, and it takes it from just, I'm regarding you as my enemy, and it takes it to a point where I'm not just regarding you as my enemy, but every day I'm choosing to hate you. I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. Everything is consuming me with the hate that I have for you. When you walk into the room, I hate you. When you leave the room, I hate you. When I see your clothes, when I hear your name, when I hear that voice, I hate you. That's the intensity that's there in this home that Joseph is facing. You think that's a little bit of adversity? You don't think Joseph didn't know this? You think this was like they just kind of kept this? You think you can hide your hatred from your family? You can't hide your hatred from your family. Everyone sees it. You try and pretend, but everyone can see the cold shoulder. Everyone can see the rolling of the eyes. He sensed all this, and he's 17. He's at a critical point. He's being rewired, if you will, biologically. He's setting his sails for what he's, going to, what he's going to be as a man. All this is happening, and he has this hatred, not from one, not from two, not from three, but count them, ten of his ten brothers hate him. And so he dreams a dream. And he said in verse 6, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. So now he's going to share this dream. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright, and behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Now that's a pretty little King James English for you there. It's not the way they spoke it. Nobody was saying shalt back when Joseph was around. Okay? They were like, You think you're going to reign over us? You? 
Think you're, this is what your dream is? Can I get this straight, Joseph? Mr. Multicolored Coat, Mr. Daddy Boy? You think you're going to reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And look at it. And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and his words. Now, if that wasn't enough, he dreamed yet another dream. And it says, and he told it his brethren. I'm going to tell you why that's not as strange as you think it is in a minute. But from a human standpoint, you think, Joseph, did you not learn the first time? The whole dream thing didn't go over pretty well the first time. And he said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to do the math here. Sun, moon, eleven stars. Okay, there's ten boys, one girl. Sun, moon, mom and dad. He told it to his father and his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee in the earth? Why did his brothers hate Joseph? Why did they hate him so much? Because he was the preferred one. Verse 3 says that he was his father's favorite son, if you look back there. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. He was the preferred one. Why did, why did uh, Joseph's brothers hate him? Because he was the prominent one. Look at verse 4. He had a dream. He loved him more than all his brethren, and he was a powerful one. He was preferred, he was prominent, he was powerful. He had a dream. What do these dreams mean? Why did he tell that twice? Didn't he learn his lesson? See, dreams in Joseph's time had great significance. Not everybody had these kind of dreams. They, they didn't have the kind of dreams like this. They didn't have futuristic, prophetic dreams. Not everybody had this. Understand, they didn't have one of these things, okay? You got one of these things? Yeah. He didn't. He didn't have one of these things. Genesis was still being written when he was alive, <laughs> Okay? So he had nothing. So the way that God communicated with mankind was through dreams. He revealed himself. His revelation was revealing to himself. Now, he doesn't do that today. Okay? When God finished the revelation, revelation as a process ceased. You say, well, I, I learn new things in Scripture all the time. He reveals new things to me. I know what you're saying, but can I give you a different word? He illuminates new things to you. Okay? Use, use, use the right word. Revelation means giving you something that no one's ever seen before and it has never been seen by mankind. That's revelation. Illumination is that the Holy Spirit is showing you something that's already been revealed and is revealing it to you. He's illuming it to you. He's turning the light bulb on. Okay. So when, when you read something in Scripture, you say, man, that's such a revelation. What you really have to correct is, man, that's such an illumination. Okay, Because revelation's over. But in Joseph's time, revelation was flying off the shelf to those that God wanted to give it to. And so when Joseph would share his dream with his brothers, it wasn't he was saying, hey, let me tell you how awesome I am. It was as if he read scripture and had to tell his brothers and sisters, check out this scripture that I just read. Have you ever done that? Have you ever sent a text to your, to your spouse or, or called up your spouse or, or someone that you know and say, man, I just read this scripture. Let me read it to you. Let me tell you about this. Let me show you what God has illumined me. As, as I read this. And he was just sharing what, what he was getting. And so he got this dream. He knew it was from God. He didn't quite understand it, but he knew it was from God. He wanted to share it with his brothers. You say, how do you know? How do you know? Because when we come down here to verse 11, and we're going to cover this twice, but it says, and his brethren envied him, and his father observed the same. The word observed means that he took that, and he took, it gives the sense that he took it, and he kind of packed it away in the back of his mind and, and put a mental note Remember what you just heard. That's revelation from God. Now, how would Jacob know? How would Jacob know? Because Jacob experienced the same type of dreams. It wasn't just a few years ago that Jacob had a little dream about a ladder. Jacob could sense the same exact things that were going on in his son that went on with him. And while he didn't do anything, because he's so passive, 
He let everything go on, but he tucked it in. He said, okay, this is something. So here's my point. Adversity can mislead the direction of my anger. Adversity can mislead my direction of my anger. What do I mean by that? The brothers were angry at the wrong person. Who should the brothers have been angry at? Jacob. Who created the animosity between the brothers? Jacob. Nobody came forth and Joseph didn't run for most beloved son of the year and win it. Jacob just decided he's the son of the woman I love and I'm going to make him the favorite one. We can misdirect our anger, can't we? But isn't it easy to take our anger out on the ones that are the most defenseless? Isn't it easy, guys or ladies, to be angry at what happened at work and not deal it with the ones that made you angry at work and come home and take it out on your spouse? Isn't it so easy to come home? Well, it's not their fault, but I just, I just had a bad day! Oh, you did, did you? You want to talk about it? No. Oh, you don't want to talk about it, do you? I don't want to talk about it, but these people, let me tell you what. You're just like everybody at work. You don't trust me. You don't. What are we doing? Adversity has come into our life, and we let it mislead the direction of our anger. Look, all anger is not bad. It says in the Bible, be angry, that's a command, and sin not. So there must be some kind of godly anger, and, and what is godly anger? It's when I'm angry at what God's angry at. And it's okay to be angry with him about that. Now, he has a whole lot of other little tidbits to help us. How do we express that anger? But let's just stop right there. We can be angry. We can be angry at what God is angry at. It's when we're angry at what God's not angry at that God says, now you're probably moving in that area of sin. And when we're angry at that, we tend to mislead uh, the adversity that comes and we get angry because adversity is coming. And so we misdirect that anger at those that are usually the most defenseless. Take it on our kids, take it on our spouse. We go to work and take out our family problems on our, our guys at work. Hey, don't talk to Joe today. Why? Uh, I don't think him and the little lady are getting along. Now, I know none of you have ever been at work when everybody said that, right? Oh, it seems like he's got a little bit of family issues going on. You might want to stay clear of him. You might want to put him on. We had, we had this job in the military in intelligence, we had to burn everything. Okay, we weren't like Hillary Clinton. We couldn't just... <laughs> Our intelligence stuff, we had to burn it and make sure it didn't go out to everybody. So we would put guys who were kind of a little backwards or, 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 or had a little issue, we put them on burn bag duty. Why? It was just them and the, and the fire. Throwing burn bags into the, to the thing and making sure that the stuff, classified information, uh, marked or unmarked, uh, does go where it needs to go. But, so, but who is the one who created the whole event? Who's the one who created it? Jacob. Jacob's the father. So let me take a moment and just camp here, okay? Take a moment on passivity in parenting, especially in dads. A couple of thoughts I wrote down about this. When parents are passive, they may eventually discipline, but then the delayed reaction is often carried out in anger. So, well, I, I just, I'm not that kind of parent, and I just put it off, I hold it in, I do it. You're passive. And you'll eventually discipline, but when you do, your delayed reaction is often carried out in anger. See, it's always easy to deal with the problem right when it takes place. It's always easy to deal with it right away. The longer you let that problem go on, the more that fills into there that is not true. The more that you start to talk yourself into why you're right, the more that the other person you talk is talking to themselves, the more you let time get into there, the more delayed reaction, the more anger is being built up. It's best to deal with it either right away or after a cooling off, a short cooling off period to deal with it. Passivity turns the other cheek and not in a good way. Oh, I see my kid over here, and I see that they got some issues in their life. Ah, I'm too busy. Oh, I see my kid over here, and they got some issues. Well, you know, I make all excuses of why they're here, why they aren't, and why they was going. Well, it's, it's, uh, uh, uh. there's an issue here. There's an elephant in the room, and it's not a Republican. It's just an elephant. You got to deal with the elephant. Now, you don't eat the whole elephant at one sitting, but you got to attack it. You can't just walk away. 
Second thing I think about this is passivity waits and waits until finally when it can wait no longer, it comes down with both feet. That's the passive parent. That's Jacob, right? Every once in a while, he's like, boys! And they're like, <laughs> look at dad getting upset. <laughs> he never gets upset. Oh, we must have pushed a button. We must have interrupted the ESPN. Must have interrupted that. And then when that happens, children aren't disciplined. They're brutalized. They're brutalized. You know what is an interesting statistic is that most kids who are in homes of abusive parents have passive parents. They're not parents that are just, for the most part, parents that are always disciplined. It's that they were passive for so long and then something switched and they came down and they, became, and they brutalized them. Why? Because they, they dealt with things passively. And then fourthly, passivity not only blinds us to the here and now, it makes us inconsistent. The family of Jacob, listen to this, the family of Jacob found themselves in the backwash of a father who seemed to fold his arms and look the other way. Look, there's hatred going on in this. There ain't going to be no hate. We're having a family meeting and nobody's leaving here till we get this settled. And every time something happens, every time you show that little rolling of your eyes and you show that little attitude, guess what? The hammer's coming down. We're not going to act, why are we not going to act that way? It isn't because we're Baptists or we're independent fundamental people or we're Christians. It's because we love Jesus Christ and we're going to pursue godliness in this home. And we're not going to allow the attitude to continue, the hatred, the envy. The, you could just add all these things. We're not going to have this in this home. This isn't how it's going to be. I can't just walk away. I can't just excuse it. I can't do it in myself. I can't do it in you. We've got to deal with it. Passivity is killing homes today. And it's because when adversity comes, we just become passive to it. Adversity comes, it's easy to choose passivity. Jacob did, but Joseph didn't. Thanks for listening today to part one of Adversity. Check back soon for part two, or better yet, subscribe to this podcast and never miss an episode. If you were encouraged with what you heard here today, share a link to our podcast on your social media. Well, we'll see you next time here on Fearlessly Authentic.